This week, AMC announces 100 million pick toggle commitment from Mudrick. Feral Gas enters into TSA with 2020 note holders under which MLP will file prepack. Superior Energy Services files for Chapter 11. Prepetition RCF agent Citibank objects to Valeris DS. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. Later, we'll get a deep dive on Latin American credits such as Grupo Posadas, Samarco, and Azul. It's Sunday, December 13th. We start this week with summaries of two potential restructurings in which companies reached certain agreements last week, AMC Entertainment and Feral Gas. AMC Entertainment announced a commitment agreement with Mudrick Capital for $100 million in new 15%, 17% cash pick toggle first lien notes. The company reported liquidity of $320 million as of November 30th and warned that its cash balance would be depleted by January 2021. Excluding proceeds of about $152 million from an at-the-market equity sale, This represents a monthly cash burn of $125 million during October and November. AMC also disclosed that it has entertained various proposals from creditors and their advisors, and in some cases, exchanged term sheets. The company expects that creditors that hold predominantly second lien debt will continue to be supportive of its efforts to avoid bankruptcy as a result of their debt ranking junior to first lien debt. AMC said it will continue to explore alternatives that include new money, possibly including a second lien conversion to equity. On the other hand, AMC also disclosed that certain first lien creditors and other parties have indicated a willingness to provide financing in a bankruptcy scenario, including debtor and possession financing. Feral Gas entered into a transaction support agreement with 74% of its 2020 Holdco note holders on terms of a prepackaged plan in which the MLP would file for Chapter 11 and note holders would receive new Class B units in Feral Gas Partners LP, entitled to receive distributions at a 6 to 1 ratio to distributions to the Class A units which would be issued to existing equity until Class B units receive $357 million. However, if that threshold is not reached within 10 years of the effective date of the restructuring, holders of Class B units would have the right to acquire all general partner units in Feral Gas Partners LP and the OPCO. The TSA contemplates a January 11th deadline for Feral Gas to file Chapter 11 petitions. Under the TSA, the OPCO would not file. Oil fuel services provider Superior Energy Services filed for Chapter 11 on Monday, December 7th in the Southern District of Texas with a straddle prepackaged plan to equitize $1.3 billion in funded debt. Under an amended restructuring support agreement supported by holders of approximately 85% of the outstanding unsecured notes, the prepetition ABL would be converted into an exit facility and note holders would swap their debt into 100% of pre-dilution reorganized equity. A 12-member ad hoc group holding approximately 74% of the notes filed a 2019 statement on December 10th. Golden Tree is the largest holder in the group with $403 million of holdings. Monarch is the second largest group member with $166 million of holdings. General unsecured creditors holding claims at the operating level would remain unimpaired with parent level unsecured creditors would receive share pro rata in a 125,000 cash pool. Parent equity interests which were slated to receive 2% of the reorganized equity in a prior version of the restructuring support agreement would receive no distribution and their interests would be cancelled under the amended RSA. The debtors commence solicitation of the plan on December 5th, and the voting deadline is January 8th. A combined disclosure statement and plan confirmation hearing is set for Jan 19th. Two milestones in the RSA require the debtors to obtain confirmation of the prepackaged plan by January 25th, with an effective date no later than February 1st. 
On Thursday, pre-petition RCF agent Citibank filed an objection to the Valeris debtors' motion for approval of their disclosure statement and related relief, arguing that the debtors have proposed an impermissible de facto substantive consolidation plan with, quote, outrageously priced exit financing that, quote, represents horrendously unsound business judgment. Claiming that the debtors have engaged in a, quote, hibernation strategy, Citibank asserts that the Valeris debtors ignored Judge Marvin Isger's direction to Lazard to facilitate negotiations until November 20th, when the debtors submitted a formal proposal to the RCF Party Steering Committee. Although, quote, the debtors finally appear to be engaging in plan discussions in a more serious manner, Citibank said they do so against the backdrop of a ticking clock of their own creation. In addition, the RCF agent accused the debtors of a, quote, continuing abdication of their fiduciary duties for their alleged refusal to explore alternative exit financing options. Also in the Valeris cases, the debtors on Monday filed a motion seeking to extend their planned filing and solicitation exclusivity periods to April 16th and June 15th, respectively. The current plan filing expires December 17th and the solicitation exclusivity period on February 15th. Notwithstanding the RCF lender's position to the contrary, according to the motion, the debtors say they, quote, have made substantial progress towards achieving their goals. In a Wednesday interview with Reorg, Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority Executive Director Omar Marrero said that the island's new political landscape will be a key factor as Governor-elect Pedro Pierluisi aims to get the island's debt restructuring process wrapped up early in the coming four-year political term that kicks off in January. Marrero said that Pierluisi has been, quote, crystal clear that he wants to conclude the restructuring process during the beginning of his term. Pierluisi's decision to retain him will provide, quote, important continuity on core fiscal issues, Marrero said, and the FF executive director expects no major changes to the Commonwealth's, quote, excellent roster of core restructuring advisors headed by O'Melveny and Myers as legal counsel and Encora Consulting as financial advisor. Marrero said that the current restructuring proposals could be modified to take into account the COVID-19 pandemic. On Thursday, Commonwealth officials announced the successful refinancing of $1.37 billion in outstanding Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority, or PRASA, bonds that is estimated to generate $350 million of debt service savings over the life of the refunding bonds. The deal marks PRASA's return to the capital markets after an eight-year absence. The refinancing involves $1.1 billion of PRASA's 2008 Senior Lien Revenue Bonds Series A and B and $284.8 million of 2008 Commonwealth Guaranteed Revenue Refunding Bonds Series A and B, according to the press release. The bonds are being refinanced through the issuance of $1.37 billion in new revenue refunding bonds. Marrero said that there was, quote, strong demand for the deal from large institutional investors. On Tuesday, President Donald Trump moved forward in reshaping the Promisa Oversight Board with three additional appointments, leaving three more appointments to take place before the Oversight Board completes its renewal process. Trump reappointed Andrew G. Biggs and appointed Betty A. Rosa and Johnny Nixon as members of the Oversight Board. Under the PROMESA statute's appointment process for the seven oversight board members, which was recently upheld as constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court, the president makes appointments from lists of candidates provided by the U.S. House and U.S. Senate majority and minority leaders. The president also selects one member of his own choosing. Nixon was recommended by U.S. House minority leader Kevin McCarthy, Rosa by U.S. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and Biggs by U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, according to two sources familiar with the process. 
Trump has yet to act on a second recommendation from McConnell's list or two nominations from recommendations made by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The source has added. Other top red stories last week included TPC Group note holders organized with Strzok as company considers priming refinancing of $70 million Apollo loan due August 2021. Judge Jones reluctantly approves previously announced settlement regarding Kaminsky's conduct in Neiman cases, says Kaminsky, quote, single-handedly undermined the role UCC serve in bankruptcy cases. Mallinckrodt requests to pay RSA Group's fees taken under advisement after oral argument. Equity committee motion pushed to December 15th. Next, here is Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Well, thank you and good morning from a wet and overcast Gulf Coast. And you know what? There's actually a lot going on this week, if the calendar can be any guide. A heroic effort one supposes to wind up outstanding business before we bid 2020 an affectionate farewell. Because as my Uncle Paul in Statesbury used to say, the bad times are over, so we'd best get ready for the even worse times. <laughs> LOL, just kidding, folks. So anyways, Monday, December 14th, trial time in Revlon, omnibus hearing in Diamond Offshore, stay relief hearing in Chesapeake, and a UCC disclosure motion in Fieldwood. Tuesday, December 15th, confirmation hearing in Borden. Elsie the cow is free again. And a confirmation hearing in Chesapeake, along with CEC and Asena. Wednesday, December 16th, today is packed most of it of the omnibus variety, along with Hertz, Briggs & Stratton, Garrett Motion, Intel Sat, and Forever 21. Thursday, December 17th, there's a confirmation DS and second day hearing in Guitar Center. And I don't know if y'all have noticed, but Gibson Guitars is now advertising the fact that its new line of riff machines has rid itself of the innovations that were put in place by the management that also brought the guitar maker into Chapter 11 a while back. These would be things like the robot tuners and the weight relief, which means that your Les Paul is back to its 10 pounds of solid mahogany glory, so you can shed some quarantine weight while you're hammering out the course to your favorite Led Zeppelin epic. And we also have a DS hearing in Valeris, the only offshore rig contractor named for an Ostrogoth warrior, and there's hearings in Windstream and CBL. And Friday, December 18th, there is a confirmation in Briggs and Stratton, omnibus hearings in Acorn, cash management hearing in Gulfport, and an auction in Garrett Motion. And that's it for me, everybody. Y'all take care of yourselves. Back to y'all up there in the north. And next up, here's our deep dive, LATAM credits, including Grupo Posados, Samarco, and Azul. Thanks. My name is Kyle Owusu. I'm a director with Reorg's Emerging Markets Credit Team, and I'm joined here by my colleague, Ed Cerullo, and we are going to discuss Grupo Posadas, Samarco, and Azul. Mexican hotel operator Grupo Posadas, 393 million seven and seven eighths bonds are trading at about 42.50 from the high 30s where they traded roughly a month ago. A key catalyst coming up for the bonds is a coupon payment due on December 30th. The company reported negative EBITDA in the third quarter and $26 million of cash and cash equivalents. Annual interest expenses on the bonds are about $31 million. Posadas initiated negotiations after it defaulted on an interest payment of about $15.5 million, which was due June 30th. The company hired DD3 Capital Partners, Rich Mueller-Heather, and Cleary Gottlieb as advisors. Rothschild is representing Grupo Posadas bondholders. The capital structure comprises the 393 million unsecured bonds and the 7 million loan which was issued by a subsidiary that holds Grupo Posadas Fiesta Americana Merida Hotel. 
As such, we expect that the negotiations could be relatively straightforward. However, there could be some difficulties involved with drawing up assumptions uh, regarding operations going forward, given the uncertainty posed by COVID. By way of background, Grupo Posadas was incorporated under Mexican law in 1967. The company operates four business models, uh, owned and leased hotels, third-party hotels managed by Posadas for the benefit of third parties, hotels which are leased to third parties but managed by Posadas for the benefit of lessors, and then franchise hotels. The company's total market share is about 15%. As of the third quarter of 2020, Posadas had 180 hotels and 28,202 rooms under operation. About 70% of the rooms are managed and 14% are leased. Posadas' 2015 prospectus highlights the company's shift to its current asset light model, stating that Posadas expanded by increasing its operation of hotels developed with third-party investment capital. The group's economy-priced hotels generally need around a 40% to 45% occupancy level to cover costs, according to sources. However, the brand, luxury brand lines require occupancy rates of around 60% or even higher. The company reported that during the third quarter, hotel occupancy rates in urban and coastal hotels were 24% and 33%, respectively. Currently, hotel operations in Mexico are subject to the government's traffic light monitoring system, which delineates red zones where only essential economic activities are permitted, orange zones where only 30% of personnel doing non-essential activities can work, yellow zones which have stricter pandemic which have which still sorry have strict pandemic controls and green zones where all activity is permitted. As of December as of December 10th, two states were under red zone, 24 under orange, 3 under yellow and 3 under green. There was a dramatic increase in states under orange zone which were at 13 as of December 1st. Turning to potential outcomes we expect that the company will probably try to preserve liquidity, given the negative EBITDA and COVID-related uncertainty, by either picking the coupon, offering a lower cash coupon, or proposing some combination of the two. For example, a 5% cash, 5% pick toggle. A proposal could incorporate an amortization schedule and or a moratorium for a specified period on coupon payments. Since most of the company's capital structure consists of unsecured bonds, Posadas may be able to pledge assets such as owned hotels or vacation property receivables to entice note holders. On the other hand, the company could use the threat of filing for Concurso Mercantil as a stick in order to incentivize bondholders to sign up for a deal that haircuts principal and does not include any extra collateral support. So we view that as the downside scenario. One question is how the company's lessors will factor into the, into the discussions. As of September 30th, the company had $230 million of lease liabilities, so there remains a question as to how the company will address those ongoing rental payments going forward, whether or not the lessors will, for example, uh, take an NPV haircut. Another question is whether there will be support from the company's shareholders. In 2011, the shareholders agreed to contribute 52 million Mexican pesos to future capital contributions. In 2012, 
The company issued 900 million Mexican pesos of debentures, which were mandatorily convertible into Series A shares. The company retired the debentures with a cash payment on January 2, 2013. The Ascaraga Andrade family owns more than 10% of the equity of the company. Uh, so with regard to support from shareholders, the market will probably be looking to assess whether or not that family is going to be willing to commit uh, capital to the company if need be. Thank you, Kyle. Brazilian airline Azul's $400 million 5.875% 2024 notes have rallied 15 points to 95 cents since the end of October when the airline announced that Knighthead Capital and Sertari's management would anchor a 1.746 billion reais five-year convertible debenture issuance. The conversion price for the new debentures maturing on October 26, 2025 is 32.26 reais per preferred share, resulting in an initial conversion premium of 27.5% based on the Azul 30 trading day volume weighted average price of 25.3 reais. Azul shares are currently trading at just over 41 reais a share. The company noted that it also has an option to raise an additional 550 million reais in convertible debentures under the same terms. Azul's pro forma cash position, including roughly 730 million reais of receivables and an additional 70 million reais from the sale of its stake in Portuguese airline TAP, totals 4 billion reais. Management has stated that this level of cash provides them with a liquidity runway of over five years at current cash burn rates of 1.5 million reais per day, expected in the coming quarter. Levered free cash flow generation in the second quarter was 381 million reais and in the third quarter was only marginally negative 44 million reais. Most of the cash generation came from payable deferrals leading to 821 million reais in working capital inflows in the second quarter and 68 million reais in the third quarter, while funds from operations were negative 593 million reais and negative 599 million reais, respectively. Following negotiation of new lease terms, lease payments in the second and third quarters were roughly 85.3 million reais and 208.4 million reais, respectively, and are projected to be 324 million reais in the fourth quarter. Azul says it will be paying 60% of original rent payments for the first half of 2021, ratcheting up to 80% in the second half of the year and back to full rental payments in 2022. Our analysis suggests that the company has closer to a three to four year liquidity runway than five years, with a cumulative free cash burn of just under four billion reais from 2021 to 2023. Our assessment is that the company's ability to limit cash burn will be tempered by working capital reversals and increasing rental payments as capacity ramps up quickly, and that EBITDA will be constrained by the limited scope for further cost adjustments. Our forecasts indicate that con at constant debt levels and lease liabilities of roughly 13 billion reais, the company will only delever gradually with pro forma net leverage falling from 11.2 times in 2020 to just below nine times in 2023 in our base case. Based on our projections, the company's shares are currently trading at an implied enterprise value to forward EBITDA of 17 times. We expect the company will need to roll over or refinance its 667 rea uh, million reais working capital facility coming due in July 2021, as well as its 500 million reais debenture issue maturing in tw uh, December 2021. Given the current level of liquidity and risk appetite domestically, we believe that execution risk on these transactions would be minimal. 
Azul has been witnessing a return in demand for air travel, as indicated by week-over-week increase in bookings to levels exceeding those in 2019, in certain cases, and November domestic available seat kilometers, or ASKs, reaching 83% of November 2019 levels. The company had previously indicated that it expected December ASKs would reach 80% of 2019 levels. Bookings appear to be driven by leisure travel, representing about 75% of demand in October, compared with roughly 40% pre-COVID. The company's CEO, John Peter Rogerson, said he believes leisure travel to the northeast of Brazil over the summer holiday will be buoyed by Brazilians who have otherwise would have otherwise traveled to Europe but cannot because of border closures. Azul also benefits from not being over-reliant on the Sao Paulo-Rio-Brasilia Triangle or international travel. The company says it plans to operate only one flight to the United States. Hazul has also converted four E-1 planes to dedicated cargo aircraft in the third quarter and can convert up to 10 more in 2021. Brazilian iron ore miner Samarco is set to restart its operations this month and come out with its revised business plan. In or around December or January, according to a December 1st letter that was sent to Timothy Growlick of Davis Polk, who is representing Samarco's ad hoc note holder group from Richard Cooper of Cleary Gottlieb on behalf of Samarco. Samarco expects to share an updated business plan with its creditors. Once the updated business plan is completed and Houlihan Loki, Metrica Advisory, and Barry Dolbert have had an opportunity to complete their diligence of the updated plan, Samarco expects to be in a position to finalize and share a restructuring proposal with its creditors, which could take place potentially in the first half of 2021, the company said in a November 13th memo, which was filed in support of Samarco's motion to dismiss a September 2nd motion that was launched by BNY Mellon in its capacity as trustee for Samarco's $1 billion 4.125% notes to recover $2.7 billion from the miner. As an alternative to dismissing the plaintiff's motion, Samarco would like the court to stay the action for 90 days in order to provide additional time to resolve legal matters, including suits brought against Samarco by Brazilian federal and state agencies, as well as take steps to engage with plaintiffs on the consensual resolution of claims. On December 8th, the plaintiffs filed a motion with the District Court for the Southern District of New York, seeking an order of attachment of at least $2.7 billion, representing unpaid principal and interest in respect of Samarco's undisputed default, which is what the, the motion says, under three series of notes um, and also requesting discovery. Uh, The parties uh, have requested oral argument, um, so we'll have that uh, to look forward to. By way of background, um, November 2015 marked the collapse of Samarco's Fundau Iron Ore Tailings Dam, resulting in a devastating flood which interrupted water supply to nine cities, impacted the lives of thousands of people, and resulted in the tragic death of 19. In In 2016, As part of an ongoing effort, the Transaction and Conduct Adjustment Agreement, or TTAC, was entered into between the Brazilian federal government, two state governments, several public agencies, Samarco and its shareholders, Vale and BHP. The TTAC established 42 programs 
which were designed to facilitate socio-environmental and socio-economic remediation in 39 municipalities which were affected by the dam's collapse. The TTAC was to be implemented and overseen by the Hanover Foundation, a nonprofit foundation established and funded by Samarco and its shareholders. Turning to the capital structure, um, and this is as of October 2018, because remember the company's uh, operations have been shut down, um, but you've got uh, roughly $37 million of principal of secured debt, um, and then the rest of the debt is unsecured. Total debt, roughly $5.6 billion, um, and that includes uh, the $1 billion 2022 notes, uh, that are the subject of the litigation, the seven hundred million uh, five and three quarter twenty twenty three notes, and then the five hundred million twenty twenty four unsecured bonds. Uh, the capital structure also includes uh, bilateral uh, bank debt um, and then other export uh, related debt, and then most notably, um, the capital structure includes nine hundred eight million as of October twenty eighteen of shareholder debentures. And then an $892 million obligation uh, re- related to the, the Hanover reimbursement. So Marco, in its reply memorandum, argued that the plaintiffs failed to properly commence litigation by sending an email in order to serve process, even though the parties never agreed uh, to that method of service. So taking a step back, um, we expect, based on uh, you know the language in the motion, that you could see a potential um, proposal and restructuring somewhere around the first half of 2021, um, with the qualification that obviously this is all very fluid and uh, you know there could be delays and, and what have you. Um, but I think it, it is worth looking at the original proposals, which were. Um, sent back and forth between the company and its ad hoc group uh, back in uh, 2018 and 2019. Um, so, for example, um, Samarco's counter uh, to the creditor's original December 3rd proposal um, under the, under Samarco's counter, uh, each creditor. Uh, was given the right to elect an alternative. You had option A, option B, and option B, option C. I'm sorry for for three separate bonds. The option A bonds um, had a LIBOR uh, plus 1.15 percent coupon and matured in 2028. The option B was 4.93 percent cash and five and a quarter pick toggle for life, maturing December 2031. Option C, one percent pick. There was no security being offered on the take-back paper. The um, Reno- the Hanover uh, reimbursement obligation, or RRO, as it was called, um, would be would be peri passu with the option A and option B bonds, as well as the shareholder debentures. The shareholder debentures um, would be uh, exchanged into take-back paper that has a similar 4.93% cash, five-and-a-quarter pick toggle coupon, and be parry with uh, option A and option B. Um, and then the excess cash suite mechanism under the offer prioritized the shareholder debentures. 
Now, the creditor counterproposal um, from January 2019 um, had a, a, a similar uh, concept between the A, B, C bonds. However, the A bonds, the coupon was LIBOR plus 150 basis points maturing in December 2024. You've got the B bond, 7.5% cash with a 25 BIP annual increase and 12% PIC with a 50 basis point annual increase maturing December 2025. And then the option C, uh, 1% um, maturing in, 20, in 2033. The security contemplated by the creditor proposal was to be determined subject to um, due diligence. Uh, the RRO would be exchanged into equity, and the shareholder debentures would be exchanged into equity or structurally subordinated to option A and option B. So you can see based on those offers um, that the parties were in disagreement regarding the treatment of the RRO and the shareholder debenture. Um, there was some. There was apparently uh, disagreement over um, whether or not the take-back paper would have security, and then notably there was disagreement over the maturities of the new take-back paper as well as uh, the coupon, both the, the, the cash and the pick element. The companies, um, according to court documents, um, continued further discussion through January 2019. However, on January 25th, uh, there was a second mining tragedy in Brazil with collapse of Vale's Brumaginho Dam, and that resulted in additional uncertainty um, and disrupted the negotiations. So we will stay tuned to see what comes of the Samarco proposal. Um, in the near term, we are looking out for uh, an announced date for the oral arguments, um, and we will also be looking out, you know, maybe in the first half of 2021. Actually, sorry, before that, we will be looking out for the, the an updated business plan or some color regarding the updated business plan, and then maybe in the first half of 2021, we will look to see whether or not um, the parties can achieve a consensual restructuring. That's all the time we have today. Back to you, New York. Thanks again for listening. As all, you can find all of our podcasts on the Reorg site media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. We hope your families are healthy and safe, and we'll talk to you again next week.